Hello and welcome to Stuck in the 90s. We are your weekly nostalgia podcast dedicated to chronicling the years 1990 through 1999. As always, we are your hosts. My name is Chris Alfick. And my name is Connor Thompson. This week, uh, it's our 39th episode of season two. We are going to delve into the exciting week of September 24th through September 30th, finishing off the ninth month of 1993. Before we dive in, it was last week that I announced... That, that I'm going to get married, right? Uh, last week or the week before? Or the, I think it I might have know. been the week before. Regardless, that's the thing that's happening. I bring it up because we have a few friends who have told us that they listen to the podcast. I did not tell those friends that I had confirmed all this and was getting married until today. So big shout outs to non-listeners, Stan, Rob, and Sal. <laughs> Fuck you guys. You don't listen to the show. I knew it. I knew it. I mean, you get behind on podcasts. It happens. It's true. <laughs> they're going to hear this and get cheese. They're going well, to hear this in like two months. Like, they'll, they'll hear yeah. this like the day after your wedding. They'll get mad at it about this slightly after Christmas. Yeah. All right, let's dive in. So this week we are doing September 24th to 30th, 1993. So on September 24th, this week's going to open with a part of the podcast that somehow keeps coming back for somehow. more. That's somewhat, somewhat moderately Raven. Raven. Uh, because today, Raven Simone, along with Nell Carter and Sondra Quarterman, join the cast of the series Hanging with Mr. Cooper on ABC. She will remain a main cast member as Nicole, Mr. Cooper's precocious preteen cousin for the rest of the series. Yeah. More importantly, though, Boy Meets World premiered. Today. Holy, Holy shit. Man, Boy Meets World. I don't. I think the first season was kind of, eh, but man, that show got real good. It picked up steam. It was a really good show. I think it's kind of like it's kind of like uh, Parks and Rec in the way that it started off as basically just like a clone of uh, the Wonder Years, starring yeah. the younger brother. Right. Much as Parks and Rec was originally an Office clone. Yeah. Uh, but it really grew into its own, and I love Parks and Rec, and I love me some Boy Meets World. Agreed. So, let's talk about September 25th, which unfortunately has nothing to do with Boy Meets World. <sighs> but Madonna starts the girly show world tour in London, England, and she visits some countries for the very first time, such as Brazil, Argentina, Israel, Turkey, Puerto Rico, Mexico, and Australia. Madonna had yet to be to Mexico? Craigie. <laughs> that's, that, that's your takeaway. <laughs> yes. Actually, that's more surprising. Yeah, well. Anyway, uh, also an article. Ooh. Something, something. How's Madonna not been down under? go to australia one day what about new zealand what do you think of new zealand uh, uh no new zealand's pretty sweet yeah i want to go to fucking new zealand it's so, it's so tectonically active that's my only issue with new zealand shout out to beth she's the only person i know from new zealand also she pronounces her name beth and it's the best or is it the best best and we've got an article today suicide doctor gets a trial date and a warning this is about Dr. Kevorkian. Oh, shit. I love talking about Dr. Kevorkian. It's a great name. Mostly because I keep talking about that fucking Patch Kevorkian Mad TV skit from like 97 or something. Anyway, warning Dr. Jack Kevorkian not to aid in any more suicides. A judge today set a February 15th trial date for the retired pathologist on a charge of violating Michigan law against assisted suicide. Quote, I want to warn your clients that I order him to obey all laws. Judge Thomas E. Jackson uh, of Detroit Court told Michael A. Schwartz, a lawyer for Dr. Kevorkian. The judge also warned the doctor, who has been allowed to remain free without posting bail, he could be jailed if he assists in any more suicides. 
But Dr. Kevorkian indicated outside the courtroom that he would continue his three-year campaign to help ailing people take their own lives. I respect that. Yeah. Also, that Patch Kevorkian, that Patch Kevorkian skit. It's funny every time. September 26th, the first mission in Biosphere 2 ends after two years, inspiring scientific advances on contained ecosystems, and more importantly, the 1996 Pauly Shore movie, Biodome. Biodome. Oh, Biodome. Now, did you watch Biodome in grade 10 science? No. That's because you had Delalis. That's true. Yeah. Also, big fuck you to Miss Delalis. She was all right. She was the fucking worst. I was... This means nothing to any of our listeners except maybe the three that you gave that fuck you shout out to earlier. (laughs) I like how they're all related. But I couldn't... I was convinced in the 10th grade that this teacher could not see me. I was in her grade grade 9 science class, but then in grade 10, anytime I would encounter her, it's like I didn't exist. Like, she would be talking to someone next to me, and I'm like... You can't, you can't see me right now. I'm pretty sure she huffed paint. That explains some stuff. There was, yeah, right? Okay. Uh, Also, on September 26th, former lottery director convicted of fraud charges. The former West Virginia lottery director has been convicted of federal corruption charges. Butch Bryan, which is an excellent (laughs) name, age 59, was convicted Friday of wire fraud, mail fraud, lying to a federal grand jury, and insider trading. Prosecutors allege that Brian steered an advertising contract to a Parkersburg, West Virginia firm and rigged bids so a Bozeman, Montana company he owned stock in would win a contract to expand a video lottery statewide. Those fucking VLTs. The only reason I know how to pronounce Bozeman is because I have a friend who lives there. Shout out to Spencer. Not fuck you. <laughs> Not fuck. The the, yeah. uh, the yeah. reverse shout out. The yeah. Don't go fuck yourself. Please don't. I know of Bozeman, Montana, because I feel like it pops up in Star Trek at some point. I think that's actually correct. Yeah. Uh, maybe the site of first contact or, uh, or I nearby. I can't remember, but it's definitely, it's something. Yeah. Anyway. Man, those fucking VLTs. Oh, the okay, VLTs. Yeah. Can I bum a quarter? <laughs> We're going to talk about September 27th now, because that's usually what we do after we talk about September 26th. State prison prepares to turn on, quote, death fence. Oh, good. An electric fence is being built around the state prison here. The first so-called death fence installed at a California state prison uh, will be switched on within a few weeks. And similar fences are planned for 18 other medium, medium and maximum security <laughs> state prisons from Crescent City to Ote Mesa, I assume all in California, over the next two years. Medium well. Medium, yeah. Yeah. That's what happens after you walk into one of these death fences. After some final testing, the 13-foot-high fence at Calipatria State Prison will be activated with a deadly load eh, of 4,000 volts and 500 amps, enough to electrocute instantly any inmate desperate or foolhardy enough to try to escape. Quote, you touch the fence and you die. End quote. Chief Deputy Warden Bobby Lynn Reed said, uh, not having ever met, heard, or previously read the name Bobby Lynn Reed, I think I did a pretty good impression. Bobby Lynn Reed. Bobby Lynn Reed says, you touch the fence, you, you die. die. You stay in your cells when we do roll call, or you die. The electric fences are meant as high-voltage salary savers. Holy Wow. God. Once all 19 fences are up, the Department of Corrections hopes to save $42 million a year by reducing the number of armed guards in towers. Obviously, this doesn't work out. Everyone knows how Jurassic Park went down, Newman lets down the whole team, and yep. everything goes to shit. Uh-uh-uh, you didn't say the magic word. Oh, uh-uh-uh. so good. 
Also, like, uh, anytime you talk about blame, like, a fucking kiosk for taking jobs, point at the death fence. They took her germs. They took her germs. September 28th, Clinton at UN lists stiff terms for sending U.S. forces to Bosnia. Okay, hold up. This is, like, less than a year into Clinton's presidency, and we're already seeing, I would call that a sexual innuendo. Oh, yeah. He hadn't even done anything. I mean, he probably had. President Clinton today laid down a long list of American conditions for sending peacekeeping troops to Bosnia and uh, called on the United Nations to be much more selective about where it sends troops in the future, saying that the United States could not afford to go on subsidizing open-ended missions. <laughs> Let me tell you about the 2000s, Bill. In his first address to the United Nations General Assembly, which had just begun its annual fall session, Mr. Clinton also proposed a worldwide treaty that would ban production of uh, fission materials for nuclear weapons. But the thrust of his remarks, thrust, wow, was an appeal to overhaul peacekeeping machinery of the United Nations and to define more clearly its mission in the post-Cold War world. Okay, I don't even give a fuck. Like, this did, they, is... did they know something that we didn't about, like, his sexual proclivities? I don't know, but this is, this is great. Like, he's a year in, pretty fresh-faced, and he is standing erect. I mean, at attention. I mean... He has it, a th- boner for... Justice. September the... 29th. No, that's your one, though. Yeah, that being said, yeah. Um. Anyway. Grace Under Fire on September 29th premiered. That's a that's a staple show of the 90s, I feel like, that I never really watched. I liked Grace Under Fire. I don't, I just don't think I watched it. I don't I know if it's rewatchable. Yeah, I mean, it I was a, watched it. It's so. a very 90s show. It seems like yeah. it. Remember Caroline in the City? Also a very 90s show. Yeah, fuck. Those, those words made, like, if I was ever, like, freaking out, like, I don't do drugs, but, like, if I took acid... And, like, was having a really bad trip or something. I feel like I could be calmed down by just, like, repeat, like, Caroline in the City, Grace Under Fire, Will and Grace, The X-Files, The X-Files, The Simpsons Season 1 through 9, The Simpsons wow. Season 1 through 9. That would just get me in a nice headspace. That being said, I don't know anything about acid trips. I can't wait until you go more senile. <laughs> more senile. <laughs> <sighs> We're getting there. Yeah. Stuck in our 90s premieres... in 60 years too soon yeah too soon uh so also today johnson works on bid not jumpers magic johnson said yesterday that he was concentrating on becoming owner of a proposed nba expansion franchise in toronto and was not considering coaching or trying another comeback as a player quote i'd be lying to you if i said i never think about it because I see guys who I can still dominate, end quote, Johnson said publicly in an appearance for Swatch at Macy's in Manhattan. Wow. I play every day, two to three hours. It would be great, but I'm not coming back. I'm excited about owning a franchise in Toronto. Johnson, who uh, first retired before the 1991 regular season, expects to hear back from the NBA in November on whether his bid has been approved. I don't think it was. No, I don't believe so. Obviously, the Raptors did get in it. Well, Toronto got the Raptors in 1996. Yeah, I don't believe that he's a part I, owner, I although he is a part owner of another team now. Two, I can't remember yeah, which one. two teams. Oh, two teams now. That's right. Uh, I forget which one. I briefly Lakers and someone else. Something out of Al- something else. The, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Magic Johnson, he owns some football stuff. He don't own the Raptors. Mm. That's obviously just Drake. Basketball. It's Drake's territory. Sports. It's okay. September 30th. Celebrity ranchers poised to flee fire. 
Flames crackling across 27,500 acres of Los Padres National Forest on Wednesday had celebrity ranchers racing the animals out in anticipation of an evacuation order. More than 3,200 firefighters from as far away as Idaho and Montana concentrated on three fronts, but the main thrust of the fire was headed away from ranches into the remote San Rafael wilderness. What does this have to do with Bill Clinton, though? Oh, nothing. Thrust. Ah. No structures were burned and there were no injuries. Actress Bo Derek helped columnist Rona Barrett corral her horses as smoke and flames moved within five miles of their ranches, but it didn't appear that Derek, Barrett, or nearby Michael Jackson ranches were in danger. And Chris added into this part a picture of Kent Brockman reading the following, and as always, the first to pitch in are those unsung heroes, Hollywood movie stars. That ends Good stuff. the week. But it does not end the podcast. If you have listened more than one episode, we go on from here to talk about things that will probably be more interesting than this sentence I am struggling to string together. We'll talk about movies and music. Okay, so let's slide into movies. Uh, This week in the charts is a fan favorite, one of my, I think, top five. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. But first, shout out, while you're pulling this up, first, okay. a, a shout out to The Fugitive. I feel uh, like this it is movie, a good one. Yeah, I saw it a few times. It was in the pop culture zeitgeist of the 90s. Just the, you know, I didn't kill my wife or something like that. I don't care. And then, like, the jump off the dam into the water. That was an iconic moment. Pretty good. But we're not here for that iconic moment. We're here for a movie that we've already actually managed to reference in this episode of the podcast. That's true, because this week... We're talking about Jurassic Park, one of the greatest movies ever made. Yeah. Oh, man, we also have the man without a face in here. I didn't even know he had a problem. Sorry. (laughs) Okay, so here's a little bit of cool trivia about Jurassic Park. And even though this is one of my top five, I've actually learned some stuff reading through this. I'm excited. Um, Okay, so the Tyrannosaurus roars were a combination of dog, penguin, tiger, alligator, and elephant sounds penguin i mean those penguins are pretty uh pretty ferocious right harrison ford was offered and turned down the role of dr alan grant as he felt the part just wasn't right for him after- i agree fucking sam neil after seeing the film he said he made the right decision i hope he means that in a good way not like oh fuck these dinosaurs god damn it yeah i think more like man that's sam neil he really tied the thing together or like you know, I've, his chemistry with Laura Dern wouldn't have been the same. No, it wouldn't like. have. Okay, so Universal paid Michael Crichton $2 million for the rights to his novel before it was even published. That's fucking crazy. Isn't that I mean, ballsy? He'd done, like, pretty... He, like, he, he did Westworld before this. So, you know, he had he had some chops. Okay, here's a good one. So, when Michael Crane was asked why the novel had Jurassic in the title and has a dinosaur from the Cretaceous period on the cover... He replied that had never occurred to him and admitted that it was just the best looking design for the book. He's right. I mean, he's definitely you right. You gotta have the T-Rex on it and fucking Cretaceous Park just doesn't ring. It just doesn't sound as right. So as much as I love scientific accuracy, I think just design and form kind of wins out in this case. Agreed. Uh, in this movie, Jeff Goldblum says the line must go faster while being chased by a dinosaur. In Independence Day, 1996, he says the exact same line while being chased by aliens. <laughs> Both were delivered with the same intensity. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that Goldblumian intensity, fuck. You know what? 
I will lose my marbles if he delivers that line in Thor Ragnarok. Right. At any point, if he if he I'm drops so like excited. A, if he drops a life life uh, finds a way or must go faster in Thor Ragnarok, I am gonna lose my mind. Um, this one's a little obvious, but I had to j- uh, giggle. The Mr. DNA cartoon was Steven Spielberg's way of condensing much of the novel's exposition into a few minutes. Do you remember the Mr. DNA cartoon? I remember that, but that's shit. That's good. Isn't that pretty good? That is really good. Um, okay, one more to close this out. Uh, when discussing chaos theory, Ian Malcolm shamelessly fir- flirts with Ellie Sattler. After meeting on this film, the two began a romantic relationship and were engaged for two years before breaking up. So that's Jeff Goldblum and Laura Dern. Yeah. I didn't know that. I had no fucking clue. Right? Damn. They would have had good looking kids. Okay. Okay. One last one. The sound of the T-Rex's footsteps were created by cut sequoias crashing to the ground. Oh, wow. Yeah. Isn't that kind of shitty, though? I mean, I'm yeah. Like, Is this something that they went to somewhere where sequoias were already being cut? Or it's like... Spielberg just rolls up onto set one day and just be like, all right, guys, I got an idea. You, you, and you come with me. Where's the nearest chainsaw store? Right. We're fucking cutting down some trees. Okay, last one. Guess how much Spielberg profited from this movie? Just it, it's gross and from profit uh, participation. Wait, okay, like the gross the, of the his, movie? No, his cut. His cut. $19.5 million. Steven Spielberg received $250 million from the film's gross and profit participations. What the? A quarter of a billion dollars. But it is one of the greatest movies of all time. Holy fucking shit. It's a dinosaur. Spielberg's making out like a That was beautiful. Yeah. All right, let's get into music, but not for long. Music. We're going to talk about some albums this week. Oh, yeah. Number one, Dance Mix 93. Ooh, don't know if that's a good one. Yeah. uh, Debuting at number two is Meatloaf's Bat Out of Hell number two. Back into hell. My dad has this cassette. As a cassette. It's a banger. And I would do anything Uh, What other garbage is on here? Oh, number 10. Oh, not garbage, but. Okay, no, let's just skip straight to 10. Yeah, Billy Joel's River of Dreams. That is a good one. Yeah, I like that. I love the River of Dreams. That's a good song. It's okay. It's very catchy. One of, this is, is this Billy Joel's last, like, real uh, album? Maybe? It might be. More on Ooh, that at some point. I want to, cl- unless there's something, okay, no, no, there are two more I want to talk about. 19, mm-hmm. Cypress Hill with Black Sunday. Okay. It's a fucking fantastic album. But 21, Moxie Fruvis <laughs> with Bargainville. You may never have heard of Moxie <laughs> Fruvis. Oh, you've heard of... But you sure as shit know about well, their... I mean, one of Canadian their, listeners will. Maybe even American listeners. Because one of the people who sang in Moxie Fruvis is someone who uh, used to be prominent in Canadian media. He goes by the name Gian Gameshi. Oh, yeah. That's right. Gian Gameshi was in a band. Yeah. That was surprisingly clever, actually. They were kind of like a, a comedy band. Gian Gameshi was... Like, he produced some good shit, he just also had a... some very, very questionable personal life stuff. Yeah. Ooh, Ugh. okay, let's close it at 26. New this week, Blind Melon, with with, Blind Melon. with their self-titled album. Okay, uh, question for you. Yeah. 16, we've got uh, The Proclaimers. Do you think that has uh, 500 miles? Uh, probably like a 50... 500 miles. There's probably like a 50-50 chance. Yeah. Anyway. 500 miles. Um, got some 90s news now we're going to roll into right Yeah, go now. for it. Everyone, I think, found out some exciting news this week. 
Linda Hamilton is set to return to the Terminator franchise. So good. Yeah. And also James Cameron apparently is going to be involved in some way with this. That feels right. And I think, don't quote me on this, but I think the article says something about the film is basically going to focus on the material laid out by Terminator 1 and T2 and sort of ignore the other ones, which I think is the best possible decision. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, We have one other piece of 90s news now, kind of. I saw this on Twitter, actually. Yeah, the, yeah. Yeah, this is a video that we saw from, like, a Chinese toy maker of a, of self-transforming Transformers. There's a video of an Optimus Prime, uh, like a G1 Optimus Prime, just fucking transforming on his own. Look it up if you have the chance. Pretty neat. Here's the thing, though. A lot of the Facebook comments that I saw and Reddit comments, too, were, oh, I would have killed for this as a kid, blah, blah, blah. No, I, I wouldn't have. It's, like, it's the a double fun sword. with the Transformers was transforming them. I want it's, this now to have yes. on my desk. Yeah, I, like, it's a double-edged sword. I want it. It's so cool to have a self-transforming Transformer, but that needs to exist alongside of the fact that we've had to transform Transformers on our own, and that's still fun in itself. Like, trans, if Hasbro licensed this technology or or did whatever and exclusively released self-transforming Transformers, it wouldn't be fun anymore. No. Like, I would buy one for my desktop as an adult, but that's it. Yeah, exactly. So, it's anyway. a really fucking cool video to watch, but... Oh, yeah. uh, let's... One, one, one thing for thankfully not 90s. Oh, what are you, what are you throwing out here? Thankfully, uh, the sequel to The Kingsman didn't come out in the 90s because it probably well, would have been as either. shit then as it was right now. This isn't a thankfully not 90s. I just wanted to work in that Kingsman 2 is hot garbage. Don't go see it. Wow, that is passion. Yeah. Yeah. I am angry about how bad it was. But if both of these movies came out in the 90s, would Kingsman 1 have been as good? Or do you think they both would have been just mediocre? They probably would have been both mediocre. Yeah. Because a lot of the fun of the movie is the special effects. Anyway. You got the good. You got the bad. You take them all and there you have the facts of life. Ooh, Yeah. So let's let's talk about let's talk about some stuff. Yeah, let's do it. I'll let you guys in on a bit of our process. We start at the year and then we click on the Wikipedia articles for basically a lot of subcategories, art, science, music, TV show, video games, and look for things that correspond to this this week or or whatever. When we were looking at 1993 in art on Wikipedia, we found out something. Uh quote the Barbie Liberation Organization, as a revolt against gender stereotypes, switches the voice boxes on a reported 300 talking G.I. Joes and Barbie dolls before returning them to stores. Oh, and we had to jump on. into this. Before we jump into this, yeah. how am I supposed to take the Barbie Liberation Organization seriously when the acronym is BLOW? <laughs> I didn't I just, consider like, that. Fuck, foresight, people. Yeah. Phrasing. Phrasing. Were they were they doing phrasing in 1993? Probably not. Anyway. Also, just I, I feel like they should have went with, like, I don't know, BLQ or something. Huh. Okay, so the Barbie Liberation Organization, or BLO, or as you said, BLOW, <laughs> they are a group of artists and activists involved in something called culture jamming. They gained notoriety in 93 by switching the voice boxes on the talking G.I. Joes and Barbie dolls. The BLO performed, quote, surgery. I love it. On a reported 300 to 500 dolls and then return them uh, to the shelves of stores. An action they referred to as shop giving. Uh, This is so good. I know. The action resulted in girls opening their new Teen Talk Barbie to hear it say phrases such as, Vengeance is mine! And boys hearing their G.I. Joe say, 
The beach is the place for summer. Both are correct. Thus inspiring the uh, 1990, possibly nine song by LFO. There's a coincidence right here. Summer Girls. Oh. Yeah. The BLO was originally conceived in an effort to question and ultimately change the gender stereotypes uh, surrounding American culture. Obviously looking specifically at Mattel and their release of a speaking Barbie that said math class is tough. It took place in the middle of the culture wars of the 90s when creative dissent was once again gaining popularity and artists and activists were often trying to conceive of new ways to rebel against the cultural stereotypes and powerful forms uh, like network TV. So by 93, criticism for Barbie as a negative gender stereotype for women was really commonplace both in academia and popular culture. This may have been partially responsible for the generally positive response uh, of the of the project as soon as it went public, but the criticism they were making was familiar and not a controversial point to make even by then in the early 90s. So although this wasn't exactly new, their creative form of hacking uh, was definitely noteworthy. Oh yeah, that's uh, pretty funny. Pretty great. Yeah, so there was a detailed description of the complex, quote, surgery they performed available on their website, again, back in 93, encouraging others to take place in the surgeries themselves. The surgery required some technical skills, tools, and precision, but the voice boxes in the dolls were similar enough that the surgery could be reproduced fairly easily in other parts of the country or world. They outlined the surgery in easy-to-understand images. After the surgery, they would secretly return the toys to shelves in what they recalled reverse shoplifting or shop-giving or, or whatever. Therefore, the stores make money twice and everything they did was perfectly legal. Delicious. Yeah. They also produced a video to explain their point. They used... Oh, God. They used the f- familiar form of the nightly news message, collaged with cutting-edge cutting video edge. art techniques to get their point across. Star wipe. Right. Viewers would be unable to tell exactly what was news and what was made up. They made some points through exaggeration and some uh, use actual news footage. This, this, sounds like alarmingly f- this sounds alarmingly familiar. Yeah. It sounds like fake news. A little bit. I mean, there's some real news in there. Yeah, I guess, yeah, kind of like fake news. Right. Fucking, fucking with voice boxes. Yeah, so good. So the media responded with coverage, but no legal issues were ever seriously raised. Hasbro and Mattel, the makers of the dolls, brushed off the attacks with little fuss, although some people were outraged uh, with the quote-unquote terrorist attacks directed at children. God, that's, that's stupid. That's a little bit of a fucking enormous exaggeration. The part that I really like about this is that no one actually knows how many toys were altered. Most sources said that three to 500 toys were hacked, but there were other reports that said it was up to 3,000, and there were a few others that asserted that only 12 toys, literally one dozen, were actually switched, and the rest was just a cleverly arranged media hype uh, from the quote-unquote artist Igor Vamos, who was famous for acts of media intervention internationally. So he was kind of the 90s version of a hype man. He, uh, he, pr- he provided the hype to the, to the talking dolls. Oh, God. Okay, so let's talk about a little bit of the aftermath yeah. here. Considering that the Wikipedia article is pretty full of citation needed tags. There's like, I was surprised to see actual citations in here after a while. So good. I think it's all right if we speculate on the aftermath for ourselves. Uh, So Chris wrote here that he was really surprised that the article didn't mention that this questionable gender stereotype uh, that prompted the formation of the BLO is also very likely somewhat responsible for the Simpsons episode, Lisa vs. Malibu Stacy, which is a right. goddamn classic. Oh, yeah. 
So yeah, there's a direct reference to the voice box switching happening when the possibly never again heard of character Celeste. Celeste. Do you remember Celeste? I do. Yeah. Points out that her Malibu Stacy has a problem when it says... My spidey sense is tingling. Anyone call for a web slinger? Uh, apparently this reference is backed up on the season five director's commentary where they point out that this is related. Now, I feel like the whole episode is, you know, at least based off of the sexist doll kind yeah. of thing. In the book Simpsons and Philosophy, The Doe of Homer, Aeon J. Scoble, is that a real name? I don't know. Cited the episode as an example in his piece titled, Do We Admire or Laugh at Lisa? He wrote, quote, the fact that the less intellectual doll is vastly preferred over Lisa's doll, even though Lisa's objections are reasonable, demonstrates the ways in which reasonable ideas can be made to take a backseat to having fun and going with the flow. This debate is often played out in the real world, of course. Barbie is the subject of perennial criticism along the lines of Lisa's critique of Malibu Stacy, yet it remains immensely popular... And in general, we often see intellectual critiques of toys dismissed as out of touch or elitist. And I think that's pretty accurate, right? Yeah. What's tough about this is that you don't really know how much of a lasting effect this had on Barbie, but there was, there is a paper trail to follow. So in 2010, Mattel released their computer engineer Barbie. Great. But it had a pink laptop, pink smartphone, it's wearing geometric pink glasses, pink watch, black leggings. You get the point here. It was very gender stereotype Barbie. Yeah, pink Just wedges. she happened to have a computer job. It's not really... And she had a Bluetooth headset. Yeah, exactly. And for that matter, I'd like to throw in here, I think both genders think math class is tough. I don't think that, and like, fuck yeah, math. I don't know, there's some people. But well, that's true. I don't know. Eng kids? Yeah. Mattel managed to further fuck this up with their book, I Can Be a Computer Engineer. Uh, the book received extensive criticism for depicting Barbie as relying on two male friends to program the game she is designing. In addition, they need to help her after she accidentally infects her and her sister Skipper's computers with a virus via the pink heart-shaped USB stick she wears around her neck. After ignoring advice... Uh, from her female computer teacher. So at least her computer teacher was female. Yeah, that's a that's a plus. But maybe that's part of the problem. Her stupid, dumb female teacher taught her stupid, dumb things. No, no, no it, it was ignoring advice. So she said probably oh, don't ignoring. stick fucking random uh, flash drives in because you'll get a virus. See, English is hard too. Sometimes. Reading. Last year, however, Mattel did release a game developer Barbie, which apparently actually doesn't suck. That's good. The following is just taken from an article from Slate.com written by Casey Feisler. Quote, game developer Barbie is wearing jeans, sensible shoes, and a t-shirt that is both nerdy and, uh, by her words, kind of cute. Uh, she has a laptop that is laptop colored. It's gray. Because women can actually use tech products that aren't pink. Citation needed. There are no pictures of Ken or fashion magazines around her workplace, just coffee, headphones, flowcharts, not to mention actual programming books, C++ and C Sharp, and action figures, apparently He-Man. Stop for a second. I saw that you can buy a He-Man shower curtain. What? Yeah. Oh, from From the, like, the music video. Like, from the, the hey, What's Up? Yeah, yeah, what, what's yeah, going on? on blo four non-blondes, What's Up? Yep. Shit. Anyway, back to the show. Yeah. She still likes some pink, of course. This is Barbie. And there's nothing wrong with pink. And that's an important point to make. Like, there's nothing wrong with girls liking pink. Oh, there's yeah. nothing wrong with nothing boys liking, liking blue or whatever color. Mauve? So Yeah, and it's good. They just kind of toned it down with game developer Barbie. And I, I've seen a picture of the doll, and it looks it looks sensible. I like it. Okay. Um, Like, 
computer programmer Barbie is still, I think it was a step in the right direction, but I mean, they really fucked it up with that book. Yep. And during and probably since the 90s, there have been more depictions of Barbies and roles that do break from traditional gender stereotypes, including doctors, teachers, rappers, apparently. Holy shit, gangster Barbie. Yeah, astronauts, Canadian Mountie. Oh. And a presidential candidate in 1992. Good year. 2004. Good year. 2008. Yeah. 2012. Great year for it. But for some reason, not 2016. Huh, wonder why. Let's move on. No yeah. idea. And I'm sure a lot of other careers that have been something other than homemaker or girl on the beach or something. So good. Also, not to take away from summertime, the beach is fucking awesome, right? Well, summertime oh, and the living's beaches. easy. Yeah. I yeah. mean, we're, we live around the Great Lakes. Our beaches aren't that good. No, they kind of smell bad. Stuck in the 90s is brought to you by How about that product, service, and or thing? Wow. I completely endorse that thing that was happening. <laughs> I'm going to cut in like hemorrhoids cream or something hey preparation h feels good on the whole it sure does stuck in the 90s as always can be found on stuck in the 90s podcast.com or you can download us wherever fine podcasts are available yeah and unfine podcasts too i guess there's a lot of crap out there you know what i mean oh yeah download us download us along with some shit podcasts maybe we are your shit podcast oh we could be your shit podcast are we like are we the follow-up to like this american life on someone's playlist we are sloppy just did, like seconds. a deep dive in the you know like ira glass just did a deep dive into something like heartfelt and warming and then there's us talking about fucking like bill clinton having a boner and how we hate some of our friends yeah okay you can find us on twitter at sit 90s sit 90s you can find us on Instagram and on Facebook. It's Stuck in the 90s Podcast. We post some stuff from time to time. Also, I posted a picture of a five-star binder display that I saw in Staples a little while ago. I recently, by recently I mean yesterday, saw that there is a bar in Hamilton called the Five Star Cafe that uses the same fucking logo. Really? I'm going to take a picture of it tomorrow. That's uh, litigation waiting to happen. I'll post that up this week. It was too dark for me to get a good shot of it last night. Yeah. Need some, uh, need some good low-light camera. Yeah, as always, we don't know what we're doing next week. We'll it's, a, it's a week in the 90s. We'll figure it out. It's not on, 93, you know, I'll tell you that. We typically figure that out the day before we record. Oh, man, it's going to be a fucking, it's going to be October. We're getting oh, into October. Shit. I'm Pump, excited. Pumpkin spice lattes, bitches. Actually, though, pumpkin spice lattes are delicious. I had some pumpkin spice Oreos last would year. Would I be a basic bitch? Yes, I would. I don't know. I mean, anyway, you do, you do love those Gucci bags. Oh, I sure do. I've never seen a Gucci bag. All about the Gucci. For now. Yeah, fuck that. We're ending on that note. The podcast Podcast is is now now Gucci. Wait.